Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 73rd episode of VisionCon Live, your go-to nerdy talk show. I'm your host, Zach Wilson. You can come here to see me today. You can to meet the man of the hour. He's Psycho Mantis from Metal Gear Solid series, Gilbert from Fire Emblem Three Houses, a myriad of characters from Mask, just to name a few. He's a legendary actor and one of the coolest cats around. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the one, the only, Doug Stone. Doug, how are we doing today? Good, thank you. And, and, and hopefully I'm the only, you know, there's that country singer, Doug Stone. I found that out because when I was, you know, I always try to do my due diligence when interviewing people. So I try to do, you know, some research. And so I turned to Doug Stone and I'm like, oh, I didn't know he was a country singer as well. But then as Cam said, I was like, oh, it's a different Doug Stone. And he changed his name to Doug Stone. And when the IMDB and Wikipedia started, first began, we got crossed up. No way. <laughs> had me hosting the Country Music Awards and him being, being psychomantic. And I'm the one who had to clean it up because he didn't want to, apparently. <laughs> you'd look it up and you'd see a bunch of anime. And then my stuff, you'd see Country and Western. And uh, <laughs> He was just a huge Metal Gear Solid fan, I guess. <laughs> I guess so. Can't say I blame him. The only good news is one time uh, somebody wanted him to sponsor some soda company. And they sent the, uh, all the free sodas to my agent. And that's what often happily drank them all up and then told me later, oh, by the way, we think this was meant for the other Doug Stone. Anyway, it was really good soda. And oh, we yeah. told them afterwards that they had the wrong guy. Eh, well, hey, too little, too late. <laughs> well, Doug, we have a lot to talk about. We have a few characters that I really want to get down and kind of talk a lot about. But first, to start us off, I want to talk about how we got here today, Doug. Was showbiz always the plan or did something happen kind of later on in life that brought us to where we were today? Uh, wasn't, it, it was in the dreams, but not in the plan. Got it. I'm, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Uh, as you can probably tell, slightly older than, than you and, and some of the audience. So at the time that I was coming up, there was no TV and film industry per se in Canada and no such thing as anime and, and all cartoons were done in LA, et cetera, et cetera. So my chances of becoming a professional actor in Canada were pretty minuscule other than stage work. And as a kid, I did do stage work, amateur theater, and was enamored of it, but had no real hopes that I could ever make a living at it. So uh, I left school very early. I've been working since I was 16 and a, a, a wide variety of adventures. We could do a whole show on my adventures between 16 and 31, hitchhiking across Canada and the States and being a hippie, long, but your length hair, candle maker and furniture okay. maker, and going to Haight-Ashbury and yakety yak. But anyway... Uh, it wasn't until I was older, I was uh, uh, doing a corporate job, which I hated. Uh, no offense to those people who knew me then. I didn't hate you. I hated the job. <laughs> and I was doing theater at night. And uh, while doing theater, I was I had gotten to a level where I was performing in a place where I wasn't paid. But equity people, it would be half equity, half non-equity actors in the place so i was telling myself gosh i'm good enough to be with professional actors on stage that tells me something but how can i make a living at the corporate job they needed somebody to do some voiceover work for something interior and i began doing it they liked me and after a while they started to pay me they said we really should pay you you're doing so much for us <clears throat> excuse me doing things like scratch tracks that's a commercial pre uh, actually having your talent come in to do it, you might hire someone to read your commercial down to make sure it fits in 30 seconds, that it says everything you want it to say, et cetera, et cetera. When it's perfect, then you bring in your big name talent. So I was doing that. So I made my own demo tape 
and started to market it, thinking what would happen if I could sell myself, if I could make some money as a voiceover actor on the side and get a career in stage, I could quit this thing, burn my tie, which I hate, and go out and adventure again like I was doing when I was younger. And this time I'll be adventuring as an actor. And that's what happened. I was fortunate enough to get some gigs doing commercials as uh, straight reads and also characters because I had a facility for accents and voices that just had been natural to me. And that came in handy doing the commercial. So quit the job, went into the business full time and went, yes, I don't care if I'm poor. I've been poor before, but I'd rather be poor and doing something I love and have passion as long as I can eat and pay the rent. I don't need to save a nickel. I just, you know, the dream, I guess it probably everybody's most people's dreams. Can I do what I love and just make a living at it? Yes, I'll take it. What is the old adage? Uh, if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> And that's that. I mean, I've worked. Certainly Absolutely. In, you do work hard, but but there's certainly something to that. Let's say, look, just looking at your IMDb page, you can obviously tell you've put the work in over the years. You've earned every one of the roles, which on that note, there are three roles in particular I really want to talk about. And the first one we would be absolutely remiss if we didn't talk about. Now, this character, ladies and gentlemen, absolutely blew eight-year-old Zach's mind. Yeah, I was far too young to play this video game, but, you know, my parents were always pretty lax on the uh, ratings for video games. But this character is one of the most famous villains in the Metal Gear Solid universe. For our first character for us to dissect, I want to talk about the infamous Psycho Mantis. Now, before we kind of dissect him further and really get down into the deep, I want to just give us a brief overview of the character, maybe any fun anecdotes involved in getting the getting or playing the part, Doug, anything at all. Well, this is one, you know, some of the roles I get, and this happens with other actors too, you're just given, people know you and say, oh, I want you to play Fred in this and da, da, da. Other times you audition. Psycho was an audition. There was a number of people auditioning for that role. And uh, as I recall, what I got was, uh, they didn't have any animation to show me, but they had drawings and a description of him. And as I recall in the description, it's, you know, this is 20 odd years ago, it, they it were rather indefinite about where he was from. Uh, they wanted him to be rather mysterious and, and uh, enigmatic in certain ways. So when looking at it and trying to find a voice for him, uh, I decided to do sort of a combination of accents. So he was not Russian necessarily. He was not this, um, he wasn't mid-European necessarily. He was sort of a combo. He wasn't German, but he was sort of a, a combination of German and a Russian and a few other things combined uh, and, and finding a vocal placement for him uh, and uh, that also honored the fact that he wore that mask all the time that I felt would affect his voice uh, even without uh, effects from the engineer or from the mix. I wanted to have something that gave the... Uh, effect of uh to the listener that that he was masked and so there's a lot to my mind there was a lot hidden about him and um they would only come out in in uh moments of anger or moments when he was threatening or or bragging or where he felt he had the upper hand and he could make declarations etc cetera, etc cetera. so all those kind of thought processes went into the uh auditioning uh, as I recall, I went in with um, a voice that was pretty much what I ended up with, not very far from where I was. That's generally the case. Usually if you come in and you're like in a whole other universe 
unless they really like you, if they've got 30 other guys coming in, they're going to go, well, Doug's not even close to what I'm dreaming. Thanks, Doug, for coming. Wonderful work. Lovely seeing you again. Say hello to the cats. Bye. And they'll hope somebody else gets it. But in this case, I guess I hit close enough to what they were imagining where they went, ooh, ooh, ooh. Okay, tweak this a bit. Do this. Get a little more threatening here. Can you get them throatier? You know, and they, they tweaked it with me. And um, having directed myself, I know that part of the process of uh, when you're casting someone, and, and I was new to them, so they had to discover what is my range. You'll sometimes ask somebody when you're uh, uh, casting and auditioning them to do things that are maybe not even going to be required, but just to see how directable they are, just to see if they can take direction and how, much, how flexible they are. And that gives you a strong indication of great when we actually get them in studio to do the, to do the real thing. They're going to be easy to direct and they take direction well. They get where I'm, I'm talking about. They're able to be flexible. Terrific. So that's kind of what I went through. There wasn't a lot of change from what I brought in with him to where we ended up. Uh, uh, and that's what I recall about the audition uh, process about it. Uh, and then I did them a couple of times, a couple of different sessions. Initially, it was in a house that had a studio in it, which was very strange because uh, it was all one room. The engineer and the director and, and I and the screen, everybody, we were all in one room, which is unusual. Uh, and then I guess uh, when the franchise got more successful, they went, oh, we can rent a bigger place. And we ended up in a more professional environment for uh, the later work that we did on the uh, on the show, where I actually was in a booth with uh, a headset uh, rather than just hearing the person behind me give me direction, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's pretty much what I remember about the initial aspects of it. And then... Um, as I say, I, I kind of got a handle on them pretty quickly. Um, and, it, and from there, it's really the, the director always has the big picture of be it a game or a show. They see the whole picture. And having directed myself, I know I've got to trust my director. Uh, if I look at the line and I think, oh, I'm, I'm really angry here. But the director says, you're remorseful. Okay. I'm not going to argue and say, well, I think he's angry. They know the storyline. Maybe something happened in another scene that my character only observed so i don't have lines and i haven't seen it i've got to trust what they tell me so this is this is the process that that i went through with with uh, him where i was directed uh to a large extent as to uh when he was angry or what resentments he might have had about things that happened earlier in his life etc cetera, etc cetera. uh th that's kind of what i remember about it. other than that vocally somewhat stressful but not too bad very high energy. I was exhausted after every session. Very high energy because even when he's speaking low, you've got to have the your body has to mimic what your character is doing if you want it to be believable. Um, I mentioned to you before we went on air that uh, I did uh, Hercules and Cena TV shows. I've done a lot of uh, TV shows and films where there's fighting involved. And I'm throwing punches. I wear clothes that are very quiet today. I didn't for this, but you wear clothes that don't make noise. And if you're throwing a punch while delivering a line, the best way to do it is throw a punch while you're delivering a line. And then it, you heard my voice change. <laughs> throw a punch as opposed to throw a punch. There's no strain there. Throw a punch. There's strain. So you, you want to act it out. So psycho was exhausting. That's so fascinating. And I will say, and this is obviously, you know, an attestment to your skills as an actor that, you know, you are of course Canadian, but with doing Psychomantis, I mean, you could not hear a hint of any Canadian accent. You really, 
were able to just formulate such such a convincing, not like you said, not quite Russian, but not quite just like its own unique accent. And doing the whole mask thing without any doctoration, that is incredible. Well, the Canadian accent, uh, there is a Canadian accent. It, it's more just like in America, you might get a Southern accent. It's a lot stronger Southern accent than, okay. you, than you're going to get uh, in the middle of America, right? So <laughs> in Canada, if, if like you're from the East Coast, you know, so you mm-hmm. might talk like that, eh? And you might go up at the end of your sentences more. And there are, there are affect, there are certain things, but as, a, oh. uh, as an actor, a stage actor, I, I uh, tried to attain a mid-Atlantic accent, even in Canada. I didn't want to be up on stage sounding like that, you know, uh, uh, to be or not to be. That, that's the question. You know, you don't want to you don't want to sound. Regional. So uh, I think most of my regionalisms were gone when I by the time I came to L.A. I only got caught once or twice. Oh, a few were Oscar, O-S-C-A-R. I got caught on that word. Apparently, it's vowels. Certain vowels that Canadians do differently. But uh, but uh, pretty much from the time I came here, uh, very few people knew I wasn't from the states. Interesting. Well, and I mean, going back to Psychomantis, I mean, in a franchise just famous for its strong, compelling, and memorable villains, Psychomantis is no exception. And even to the point that this game, the game that he debuted in, came out almost about over 20 years ago at this point. And I just recently, I found, let me, for our audio listeners, I'm sorry, you're not going to really be able to get to see this, but for those uh, tuning in live or later on YouTube, right there. There's actually relatively recently they came out with a brand new figurine for Psychomantis. Oh, oh cool. I mean, admittedly, it's seven hundred dollars, but <laughs> I you know, I just I was really I was happily surprised when I saw a new merchandise for a character as awesome yet old as Psychomantis. Did you know that Psychomantis did car commercials? Uh, I found that out after researching about you. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, that wasn't that long ago. So again, I, I did this role. I did not realize how popular it was. I did not for years realize how popular it was because I wasn't going to conventions. And I'd gone to a convention for Mask for this uh, cartoon series. And I'd say a quarter of the people, even though it was for something else, said, I want to ask you about Psychomantis, or they had something to be autographed that was Psychomantis oriented. I got a call from... Um, uh, or an email, I guess it was from a, someone who said, I'm with an advertising agency in Florida. We're doing commercials and we want to have Psychomantis do some commercials. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah, sure you do. Uh, I won't swear. I won't call you a sp- scammer, but come on. You know, you'd have to get the rights to it. Ha ha ha. They said, well, actually, we've already done a few of these. And they sent me to a YouTube thing. And there were some other well-known cartoon characters doing commercials. And I went, whoops, they're real. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, because I just couldn't imagine it. I could not imagine how Psycho could do a car commercial. But they took that famous, uh, famous scene of it when he was standing on the table. uh, And and uh, I did about four or five commercials for uh, as Psychomantis, which was a lot of fun. And they were fans. So uh, they were having a great old time. It was remotely. They were, as I say, at a state. And uh, so I did a few personal messages for them for fun and whatever. And it was great because as we'll talk about later, I'm very involved in in an animal shelter. And I went and said, I'm going to tithe. You know, I got a couple of grand from the thing. So I gave a couple of hundred dollars to the uh, shelter since it was an unexpected uh, gift to my mind. And uh, fun to do. That is so awesome. 
so I think it's safe to say that uh, you didn't really have much of an idea of how popular and you know just beloved this series would be uh, when you first voiced Psychomantis. You never do. You never do. You never. You know, there's other times when I've done stuff and you've talked. To, you talk to the other actors and go, "This is good, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's going to." And nothing happens. And it's either it wasn't marketed right or whatever. I, I directed an original animation series once uh, that we thought was going to just kill. And we can't even find it on YouTube. Really? It was uh, animated by a gentleman named Robert, uh, Ralph Steadman, who was a very famous illustrator. Um, he, um, uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, he illustrated the book. Anyway, uh, it just didn't happen. So you never know. You never. I've given up being able to try to predict. Sure, sure. Well, we're going to move on, guys. But before we do, I just want to reiterate for people that are just joining us for the first time. First off, welcome. But uh, those of you who might not know is that you guys, at the very end of this, we have a viewers comments and questions segment. So you guys can either message VisionCon directly your viewers comments and questions, or you can put it in the live chat and I will take questions from each one at the very end, guys. So just stick around if you guys want to see your guys' questions answered. And with that said, we're going right to our second character. And this character, just as impactful, just as complex, especially with his relationship with others, and especially one relationship in particular, the next character I want to talk about is from a very beloved JRPG series. Let's talk about Gilbert. So like we did for Psycho Manus, Doug, just give us a brief overview of the character, maybe fun anecdotes involved with getting or playing the part, anything at all. Well, uh, yeah, Gilbert. Uh, I, I let me just say that he Gilbert is still around. I can't talk because of non-disclosure agreements, etc. But uh, Gilbert lives on. Um, yeah, that was something I aud auditioned for. I think the uh, it was a combination of the studio, which who are really nice folks here in town, where this, where this is recorded, and uh, the client themselves. Um, uh, both had me audition, so I think they were both. Well, certainly the studio was familiar with me. And uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I, I tend to think that they were thinking of me for this role or that they certainly thought I was a good candidate uh, for potentially playing it. Um, so I did audition for it. I think I auditioned for a few characters in that world. But I have to say, uh, as I re recall, he was the one when I auditioned for that I felt the strongest uh, bond to or when I listened back to my own auditions, thought, mm, boy, if I was me, I'd pick me uh, <laughs> that role. <laughs> but, you know, you don't always uh, you always hope that if you don't get something, somebody you like or you respect gets it. And so you can go, well, I didn't get it, but X got it. And he, man, he's good. So that's OK. You know, it won't be somebody who's going to blow it, who's going to ruin the role. That's what you don't want to have happen. Um, yeah. A complex character, which is really cool, because, again, um, this is acting. This isn't funny voice making. Um, there are some cartoons you do that are just funny voice making. The sillier the voice, the better. And, and that's what it is. And it's very presentational and out there. And there's no depth in the character. And that's fine. And that's a skill in and of itself. But a character like him, I like because it, it goes back to where harkens back to my beginnings, which was stage acting. Uh, I did study. I did a little Stanislavski studying. I studied at Second City because I did comedy improv. You know, I had acting teachers, etc. Uh, he is a complex character. He um, he's in conflict with his beginnings, with his uh, his nobility and his his duties towards kingdom and country. 
cause him conflict. And at one point, as I recall, uh, he even thought about, uh, uh, I'm going to quit all of this and go join a monastery and, and leave all of this behind, despite having, by nature, I think, a, a warrior and leader mentality and physicality, which is hard for him to deny. So he has some conflict. He still felt enough conflict where he wanted to leave that. And that put him also in conflict with his family. Uh, and particularly with his daughter, whom he loves, but who I don't think is sure of her relationship with him and how she feels about him. And bear in mind, too, when you're doing these games, sometimes you'll do something three different. There's three options. So there might be you might be saying in one, I love you more than I love anyone in the world. OK, take two. Option two. Sometimes I love you, but sometimes I hate you. OK, option three. I hate you. And, you know, depending on what the player does, it goes sure. to different options. But the more through line with him is that he does love his daughter, as I take the through line, that he does love his daughter and that there is a conflict there and that he doesn't want to be against her. He doesn't want to fight against her. He doesn't want to see her on the other side. Um, but he is attempting to sort of redeem himself. And uh, through his redemption, he does have to do sometimes things that he may not welcome. So it's, it's great uh, for me as a performer to play somebody with all those inner conflicts uh, who may be making statements that aren't just one emotion at a time. It's not just, a, okay, uh, I'm angry at this man. I'm angry at you and I want you to leave. Okay, I'm angry at him. But on the other hand, his son once saved my life. He's related to me. He served the king that I used to like. So I've got all these conflicts. So when I say get away from me, get away from me. I, I, I'd like to embrace you, but I can't, but I did. So I've got all these conflicting emotions. So it's, that makes it really fun to play. Uh, and it means you can, you can go deeper uh, into the, into the core of self. And, and uh, part of the challenge as an actor, whether it's on camera or voiceover is instantaneously accessing aspects of yourself. When I studied acting, uh, one of the first things I taught myself, I can't do it now, but one of the first things I taught myself was how to cry on cue, how to get very emotional on cue, how to laugh and make it look real on cue, even if something funny didn't happen, but how to look like I'm killing myself laughing when nothing, you know, just it's actors. Yeah. Tools. It's your toolkit. And uh, so it's fun as I got, I don't do stage anymore. And I, I did some on camera work in, in the early in my career. I did on camera work in Canada, uh, primarily as a more villainous guy because of the way I like more of an Al Pacino type uh, <laughs> I can see it. stage comedy. I, I like the camera decides what it likes you most as. And it liked me most as someone rather intense. Eyebrows and eyes are more intense. Could definitely see that. Yeah, so that's where I was. Um, so uh, this type of character is a chance to bring that back again. Oh, good. I'm not making a funny voice here. I'm acting. Uh, and I am changing my voice slightly for him. Not a great deal from my natural speaking voice, other than perhaps a little more projection, a little more nobility, a little more uh, pensiveness, slower than I, I speak very quickly. He speaks much slower and takes things into consideration is much more thoughtful in, in how he speaks because of his position in life. He's had to be that. So these are the things you're considering when you're reading the, the character description before you decide on what voice you're going to use. You have to look at, at uh, culture counts. 
culture counts in everything. And, and you're up, you know, who are we? We're nature and nurture, right? They say we're a combination of both. So I look at a character and I have to think about where does he come from? How was he raised? What was it? What were the expectations of, of him growing up? Somebody like him, he's expected to be a leader. He's expected to be thoughtful. He's expected to take a position of maturity. So you must give him that. So you even stand that way while delivering. I believe in that anyway. And when we talk about mask, I'll, because I did eight characters in that, I'll, I'll tell you more about body stance and whatever and how that changes things. Um, but it's important to try to take the stance of, I think, of the character. I prefer working standing up. Mm. Some actors work sitting down and I have bad knees. I'd love to sit. But if I can, I prefer to work standing up because I can uh, open my instrument more that way, okay. I can my diaphragm more that way. And I can uh, use, uh, even though I don't move my body a great deal in front of the microphone, I'm, I'm gesturing, even if I'm just gesturing with my hands when speaking, I might be moving my hands around and that helps me uh, find the performance. And it, what a performance it has been because so Gilbert, and as you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, in typical JRPG fashion, Fire Emblem Three Houses has a myriad of different characters with like different personalities, some more goofy than the others. Gilbert, however, while he does have a couple, because for those of you who aren't familiar with what Fire Emblem is, in its essence, a lot of the characters interact with each other often, whether they be cutscenes, gameplay. So there's a lot of character interaction. And so obviously here and there, you find Gilbert in some goofy places where some of his naivete of more, you know, jovial topics is exploited and then therefore he kind of finds himself in kind of silly situations. But for the most part, Gilbert is one of the most complex, one of the most deep and thoughtful characters in a, I would say, masterclass of a game, especially in the storytelling aspect. So I did want to ask, while playing Gilbert, was there ever a point that you found anything about him that you perhaps began to relate to on a personal level? Oh, certainly. Uh, any character like that, you, even if it's bending the character description to fit you uh, so that you can elicit the correct emotion. In other words, um, uh, I don't have a daughter, okay. but I have had relationships that have gone sour. I have had relationships with, with women that have, that have gone south for one reason or other, and some of which I blame myself because I was stupid and did that. So, uh, you go back into sense memory of those things that you can relate to. So when he's talking to his daughter, uh, if he's feeling love for her, I'm going to a place of love in myself of the places where I know I felt love for someone, whether they were, and, and if it was a younger person or somebody that I was um, sort of a surrogate father towards or whatever the relationship may be, I have a few of those kind of relationships at my age where I am kind of a surrogate father to a few people. So uh, you, you go to those places where that you can relate to in, in, your, in your heart and in your core, um, and you then give it to that person. You give it to it in, your, in their voice, but uh, the emotion has to come from you to be true. Uh, otherwise, it's, it's going to be fake and it's going to sound fake. So you are feeling uh, you're doing your best, uh, at least when I'm doing it. I'm, I think other voice actors are doing the same from my conversations. You're doing your best to tap into your own feelings and, and lending them to your character. 
And uh, you may be lending it to someone who says, because of me, the castle burned down. Well, I've never caused a castle to burn down, of course, but I have caused things to happen through negligence or mistake. We're, we're all human. Sure. So go back to that. Go back to how did you feel that time that, that you left the stove on and all the popcorn burned and everybody was mad at you at the party and you felt <laughs> stupid and small and, oh God, what an idiot. How could I do that? Well, same emotion, just now it's a larger playing field. Sure. It's that you left the castle door open and the bad guys got in, whatever. So, um, so, and I like that. Uh, I like being that that's acting. That's what's fun about it for me is, um, is seeing how many places you can go and what you can pull out and bring to the character. Sure. And uh, the more, if I speak a line and I almost feel like I want to cry after I say it, or I feel a, a strong emotion after I say it, I feel good. I feel like, I, I honored that. I, I, okay. They may not like it in the booth. Maybe I didn't get something they wanted emphasized or whatever, but I know it was honest. I know I did it honestly. So that makes me happy. And, and the odds are good unless there really was a word that you wanted to emphasize in the booth. They're going to go, Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. That's the keeper. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're feeling, if they feel it too, they know that the, the game player is going to feel it. Sure. Cause it's, it's human. It's, it's international. It's, it's human. It's just human souls speaking to human souls. Yeah, yeah. It, if it resonates so hardly with people who actually wrote the character, chances are the people actively playing the game, it's going to resonate with as well. Yeah, yeah. If it's resonating with all the creators from the writer, animator on up into the actor and the director, yeah, then odds are real good that most of the people playing it are going to relate to it and go, oh, I like that. That made me feel something cool. Because we're not playing, we're not playing this as a, you're not playing games. I'm sure as a disinterested observer, sure. you're getting in that world, right? Yeah, especially with JRPGs, you can't play JRPGs as a disinterested observer, as you said. You have to be completely invested in the story because a lot of JRPGs, that's sixty percent of the game is the story. Mm. Yeah. Well, I want to move on because I am super excited to talk about a charity that I am very passionate about and fully support, but we have one more character or rather a series to talk about. And uh, this is one uh, I had to do. I'll fully admit it cards on the table. I had to do some research on. It probably dates you. (laughs) Well, I, and I was very surprised pleasantly, might I add, I was very pleasantly surprised of how passionate of fandom that this series has. So I, a lot of people watching right now is probably going to be very excited as we talk about the myriad of characters that you voice in Mask. So to round us out, just give us a brief overview of the characters from what you remember of the show in general, maybe fun anecdotes, getting or playing the parts, anything at all. Mobile Armored Strike Command, Mask On. Um, This was a very crucial series in my personal life. I was in Canada, and uh, as I said, doing on-camera work and stage work, etc. And uh, a cinematographer in a film that I was doing approached me and said, who's your agent? I was with a small agent. He said, you know, you're a good actor. Why don't you go to so-and-so agency? Tell them I sent you. And on his word, they signed me, which was amazing. Within a few months, they got an audition from L.A. for a cartoon series that wanted to use Canadian actors. It was a French, U.S., Canadian production called Mask, Mobile Armored Strike Command. So I got a chance to audition for it. And uh, from Canada, long distance to L.A., ended up, I think, I think I started with three characters, came to L.A., and that grew until it became eight characters. 
uh, and I believe we did, I always forget if it's 65 or 75 episodes. So this is very near and dear to me for nothing else, if for nothing else, that it brought me to LA and got me established here. I was doing the series here and then the people at the studio and the production company all encouraged me and said, you know, you're good enough to work in LA, which I had never imagined. I thought I'm a Canadian actor. I'll stay up in Toronto. I have no business down in LA. Uh, and that was encouraging enough for me to relocate. And as you saw in the IMDB, I've, I've managed to forge a pretty good career down here. So it was very exciting. And it was, um, as I say, it began with three characters, then grew as villains came along uh, and new characters, we'd audition for them. Uh, initially, all these characters didn't exist, uh, at least not all the villains. But as the series went on, we'd audition for these reoccurring characters. And as I say, I ended up with eight regular characters, and then we would do minor characters, you know, two liners here and one liners there as well. It was a lot of fun. And I'm still friends. Brendan McCain, bless his heart, just passed away. He was one of the actors on the show. But I'm in touch with his wife, Sharon. And um, yeah, I'm still uh, this was 1985, 86, and I'm still friends. Hi, Kitty. I'm still friends with somebody just came to check on me. Mino Minu just came to check on me. Uh, I'm still friends with these people all these years later. That is incredible. So, yeah, it's very cool. It's very cool. <laughs> I have to imagine, you know, you're part of something truly special with after all these years, the cat, you and the cast members are still in touch to this day. Well, they were uh, Sharon and Brendan were already living down here and so welcoming. Brendan was also from Canada, Sharon from the States, but she was a dual citizen. Uh, but they were so welcoming to me as a new person here. And it just it was wonderful uh, to have somebody, you know, a home to go to, to have dinner with people. And when you're brand new in a city, et cetera. Uh, and uh, yeah. And so friendships were forged. Uh, Mark Halloran and I roomed together for a while. Really? Shared an apartment for a while, two bachelors uh, down here in L.A. Uh, while doing the series for a short period of time or whatever. So, yeah. Uh, and. Uh, um, uh, oh, uh, I've just lost his. How do you like that? I've lost, Graham McKenna. Uh, Graham, one of the other cast members for a while when I was doing stage work down here, helped out and came out and did the lights and sound on a few of our stage shows. When our, our tech didn't show up, he jumped in. So all these other things happened in our lives that, that brought us together. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> well, and so for a series so important and impactful in your career, I got to assume you had some, at least some moments really stick out for me through all, after all these years. Well, what sticks out for me, I guess, is I had done some original animation in Canada, a little bit like uh, for uh, um, uh, commercials and things like that. But here, suddenly I had several characters to do at once. And they asked me when I started, they said, now, do you want to, I was Matt Tracker was the lead character. He was the hero. They said, do you want to do all of Matt's lines first, then come back and we'll do Dusty and then come back and we'll do Hondo. I think those were the three, or it was Bruce and uh, Hondo with the original. So I said, you know, let's try going one to the next. Let's just go sequentially through the show. I don't want to have to stop and start because everybody else is, wants to go sequentially as well. So it was changing a body stance and voice. Sometimes I'd have all three characters in one scene speaking to each other. So you're, I'm not standing up right now, but Matt Tracker was, is about six foot two, shoulders about this broad, blonde haired. I can't do it. I'm too old to do the, all the body of his voice now. But I stood up very straight and da da da. And then I did Bruce Sato. And I would always keep my hands in front of him because he was very soft spoken. And I would hunch over 
to do his voice because he did not want to intrude into people's consciousnesses, but he did have something to say. And Dusty Hay would wave, <laughs> wave my arm around because he was excited about everything and he was just pumped up. So, you know, you again, uh, you change your body stance to help give life to the characters and help differentiate not only their vocal placement, but their energy, how they carried their bodies, how they saw themselves. Um, a cartoon is exaggerated reality. So no, nobody walks around doing, yeah, I'm really excited about this. But they may have an interior life that lives that way where they go, I can't wait to get there. It's going to be great, man. It's going to be a good concert. You know, that's who they're, what they're all about. So for me, since I'm not like that by nature, it helps if I do this, then I can find that guy. That excitement, keep that excitement up. Method acting. <laughs> yeah, method acting. So uh, that was what was one of the really fun things for me about doing that series. Was, uh, I don't know how I looked. It must have been pretty funny to watch me. Move, uh, uh, you know, Maybe a little bit. Just changing uh, body stance for, for everybody and, and having these conversations, even disagreements with myself. I guess it's you know pretty strange this business we're in, um, but in each instance you instantaneously have to become somebody else with their own point of view, their own voice, vocal placement, their own body stance, and their own point that they're trying to get across. Because everybody's got we're all the hero in our own story. We all have our story that we're trying to tell, and it's no different in a cartoon than it is in life. You know, we're all in our. You're in your movie. I'm in my movie. I'm viewing you through my lens. You're viewing me through yours, right? So when I say hero, I don't mean like we think so highly of ourselves, but sure. we're all in our own story. You're the protagonist of your own story. Exactly. So every character you play, you have to think of that way too. They are the protagonist of their story. If you want to really bring them to life, then remember, they want something. They have a goal. There's things they're not going to like. They might be trying to get around somebody. They might be trying to explain themselves. It helps to give them life all those aspects, including the body stuff. So it was a great way to start off in LA to have such a challenging thing to do so that when I went to other auditions after that, I say, Oh, I'm just playing one character. Oh boy. <laughs> Easy peasy. This'll be a breeze. I got to be the same guy all the way through. Oh, wow. <laughs> a midsummer's breeze. Yeah. Okay. Well, I can do that. I just have to retain this one thing. I have to think about 12 different voices and <laughs> how I'm going to move and et cetera, et cetera. So it was a great beginning for, for so many different uh, reasons. Um, and as I say, the studio person, uh, the, uh, the people at the production company, everybody encouraged me. Uh, the one of the directors, the late Stu Rosen, um, recommended me to an agent here in town in L.A., so it was uh, it was what got me kind of started in, in Los Angeles was this series. So it's for me, very uh, memorable for a, a myriad of reasons. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Well, we are going to jump ship real quick, guys, and talk about arguably one of the cutest yet one of the most important charities around the globe, because, guys, I want to talk about. Kitty, oh, oh goodness, Kitty Bungalow. Doug, tell, tell us everything about Kitty Bungalow. What are some of the programs that they provide? Ways people watching right now or listening, if you are watching live on Facebook, later on YouTube, or listening later on Spotify and other major podcast services, how can we help? Well, Kitty Bungalow Charm School for Wayward Cats is located here in LA. And what we're trying to do is there's a as is in every city, millions of feral cats out in the streets. And a lot of cities 
euthanize those animals. They're healthy animals. They are not sick. They are not suffering, and yet they're euthanized. We don't believe in that. We're a no-kill shelter. What we do is something called trap, neuter, return, TNR. Uh, Yep, there you go on programs. Uh, If you go on programs, you'll see TNR. And uh, there's trap, neuter, return. So we go out in the streets. We're contacted by people who perhaps are feeding a group of cats. We'll go out there, trap the cats, bring them in at no charge to the people, but we get grants and we get donations and et cetera, et cetera, to do all this. We will uh, get the cats neutered or fixed. And then depending on their age and their personalities, we might, if, if they're eight-year-old tough they're little Joe Pesci cats out in the street. There's no way you can adopt them, okay? Because they'll rip your friggin' face off. So, okay, they go back to their colony. But there is somebody in place to feed them, somebody in place to take care of them, somebody in place to make sure they're okay. And, of course, they get a health checkup before they go back. Any younger cats or any cats, sometimes we'll even find an abandoned cat that's obviously very uh, social, and it's found its way into a colony because somebody abandoned it or it got lost. If it's not microchipped where we can return it to the odor owner, we'll take those ones into the shelter itself. We'll bottle feed the babies if their mama's not around or we'll nurture the mama. Some of the mamas might get returned back to their colony, but we'll keep them long enough to get the babies breastfed until the babies are off mama's uh, breast milk. And then we will socialize them for adoption. We also have a program for cats that are kind of in the middle. They'll let you near them. They'll let you uh, feed them. They'll stay close to you, but they're not going to be a house cat. They're strictly outdoor, but they're social. And uh, we will sometimes locate those ones in, uh, say, you have a farm or uh, you have a granary and you've got a mouse mouse problem or uh, another infestation. You don't have to put out poison. You can adopt one of our cats and it'll uh, it'll live uh, in, in your location. You can feed it take care of it, make sure it's healthy, and we'll stay in touch with you and help you with that. And it's your mouser. And it'll take care of that so you don't have any uh, poisons and things near foodstuffs. We've even done it in a mattress uh, warehouse where they, they are in love with these two cats who they like it there. They live in the warehouse. They get fed. They get taken care of. And they don't get any more mattresses, get holes chewed through them by mice. And the cool thing about that, for those of you that feel bad about the mice, once those mice or rats smell cat feces, they're out of town. So there's actually very little uh, killing of mice or rats because as soon as they smell cats around, they they are smart enough to know. So we have all kinds of programs and we uh, do this with thousands. We're growing and growing. I've been, I started off as a volunteer in 2012. I'm now in my uh, ninth year. Uh, For a while, I was the unpaid volunteer coordinator at the shelter because we didn't have much money or much in the way of staff. As we've grown, we now have staff that does all that. And I've joined the board instead and I do fundraising. Uh, I do a Voices for the Voiceless fundraiser where I get other voiceover actors who are uh, lovely people who love animals and they donate swag, which we then um, auction online. And uh, this last year we did a comedy one because I used to do comedy. I've got friends in that uh, world. And we did our Animusery show and we had a bunch of stand-ups and uh, improvisers, et cetera, who did an online show to raise money for the shelter. Way other people can help, if you look at ways to give, Uh, You can give through Patreon. You can uh, find us. If you go to online, you'll find our site, the Kitty Bungalow site. There's so many ways you can you can donate. Yeah. Uh, Venmo, PayPal, um, whether uh, Bitcoin, uh, attending one of our shows. Um, If you are associated with anybody who gives grants, 
Ooh, we'd love to talk to you because we we do grant money as well. We work with a lot of shelters, city shelters as well in L.A. Um, and we are actually because we've been doing this for years and years. We're consulting with and teaching other shelters uh, how to run a successful TNR trap neuter return program. Uh, because of our success, we are associated with a lot of vets we, who give us a free help or discounted uh, neutering and uh, medical care for our kitties, et cetera, et cetera. So we're just out there saving lives is what we're doing. I love it. Uh, I have a kitty bungalow graduate living with me, Rocky McWiggles. Uh, Rocky uh, suffers from cerebular hypoplasia. It's a neurological disorder that uh, some cats have at birth because their mother was ill where they can't stand up straight. It's a neurological disorder where they fall over. Now, some places, they, those cats would be euthanized. And there are even some vets who are ignorant enough to think that those cats can't survive and can't prosper. Uh, and they can. And he's an example of it. I fell in love with him at the shelter and adopted him. And he lives here with me. And from not being able to walk two steps, he now transverses the entire length of this place. He's a happy boy. He's got an older sister and a younger sister who he plays with. And he's a happy-go-lucky little man. He falls over sometimes, but he knows how to, uh, he's learned how to shelter his body so he doesn't hit his head. He falls on his side and he even incorporates it. He'll fall over and go, okay, well, while I'm here, you know, I'll play with whatever's close to me. And da, 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 da. It, it doesn't bother him. He's a happy little man. Um, so we do not believe in euthanizing any animal because it has a disorder. We don't care if they're one-eyed, blind, one-legged, whatever we will help them. The only time I, uh, I believe an animal needs to be euthanized would be if it was a danger, with, which isn't going to be a cat usually, or if it's suffering and there's no way of, of helping the cat. So if you're interested in helping us, watch for the Voices for Voiceless Auction. Uh, the next one's probably going to be in January or February. And we also have another event, which uh, we'll talk about in a minute uh, coming up, not one that I'm running, but one that Kitty Bungalow is running, an art event, online art event, which is going to be a lot of fun. Um, and uh, you can donate to us. Uh, uh, again, I suggest going to the Kitty Bungalow site online and looking for ways to give or shop. We've got swag as well. We've got fun T-shirts. We've got cups. We've got all kinds of, of things. Uh, if you go down a little bit, yeah, you'll find uh, the black T-shirts, the Fix Me. Uh, if you go to the store, we've got some other stuff too. Um, uh, some, some real fun uh, clothing items, et cetera, et cetera. And as it says, all proceeds go to helping us with kitty socialization, medical care. We have staff members, bless their hearts. We can't pay them a lot of money. They're there because they love animals. Uh, uh, they're there because they care. And we got a wonderful staff and we're a volunteer organization. Uh, almost all of the people who go to Kitty Bungalow and help us are, uh, we're uh, on shifts all the time. We have our regular, we now have our own building and we have a what we call our charter school, which is associated with NKLA, No Kill LA. And it's at their site. Uh, that's where I've been going lately because of the pandemic. I haven't been going to the regular site uh, to socialize kitties. So we're associated with a lot of really great organizations that we work with. And a lot of people who fund us and, and help us as well. And that's kind of a, an overview of, of Kitty Bungalow. And if I mean, I'm standing there bottle feeding babies this big, man. And I'll tell you, the first time I did that, I heated up the milk, tested it on my wrist, and I'm bottle feeding a baby that has no mama. If I don't feed that baby, it could die. I'm giving it life. And that is the most empowering feeling uh, I think I've ever felt in my life. I'm never going to be, I'm not a woman. I'm never going to give birth to a child, but- <laughs> 
I can hold a helpless little creature in my hand and give it life, help nurture it and help see it through. And uh, it's an incredible feeling. So believe me, it's uh, though we have a lot of wonderful, mainly women volunteers. We have a lot of guys too, who get it. A lot of guys who, who have, uh, you know, good hearts and, and realize uh, what a wonderful feeling it is to be helping these animals and to bond with them and to realize that in their own way, they're, they're thanking you, you know, when they purr and they cuddle up, they were the first day you saw them, they're hissing at you because they're, they're this big, but they're going, I'm a lion. Don't hurt me. I'll, I'll kill you. And a week later, they're sitting on your shoulder or on your head, purring, looking out a window going, Oh, I like people. I didn't realize you're okay. <laughs> and the next thing you're seeing a picture of them and they're uh, they've been adopted. So it's, it's pretty cool. Is an incredible organization with a very wonderful cause that's near and dear to me. And I did want to reiterate something, guys, that you guys might not be aware, but um, I work for when I'm not doing VisionCon stuff, I'm the marketing coordinator for a nonprofit here in Missouri. And VisionCon is also a nonprofit. And so nonprofits do a lot of great work for every community, you know, just kind of around the globe. But we essentially run on grant funding and donations most prevalently. So I do want to reiterate something. This is an incredible organization that would be very much worth anything that you can afford to give. And for our audio listeners, I'd like to just read how you can give since you guys don't have the benefit of seeing what's on screen right now. Oh, they don't. Oh, I thought they were. Yeah, well, no, people, people do that are watching live or later on YouTube. Yes, they can see this, but we also post this on podcast streaming platforms, so they won't be able to. So for those of you who can't see this or are listening later on podcast services, Kitty Bungalow is a 501c3, which means all donations are 100% tax deductible, tax deductible rather. Um, if you have any questions, you can feel free to email them at donations at Kitty Bungalow, and that's spelled K-I-T-T-Y-B-U-N-G-A-L-O-W.org. And then if you want to donate, you can text KITTEN with a capital K at to 707070. You can Venmo them at Kitty Bungalow. And again, that is spelled K-I-T-T-Y-B-U-N-G-A-L-O-W. Or you can pay that pal them for at, and the PayPal is donations at kittybungalow.org. There's also ways that you can do cryptocurrency for those few of you who have a, an obscene amount of Bitcoin or Ethereum. And there's just a myriad of other things you can do to support them. And I, I implore you to check out their website, which is kittybungalow.org. And so let me stop the share real quick. So I do recommend and highly implore you guys to at least check them out and do what you can to help cats in need. And so with that said, we're actually going to go right back to a kitty bungalow topic because we're going to do this the next segment a little differently. And that segment, and ladies and gentlemen, before we get to this segment, for those of you who haven't already messaged VisionCon directly, your viewers, comments, and questions, or put in the live chat, now is your last chance to do so because ladies and gentlemen, oh, one sec, actually. Oh, and I want to hit the wrong button. Okay. Because ladies and gentlemen, we're in the plug zone. Doug Stone, now is your opportunity to normally plug, promote, advertise, whatever verb you want to use, anything you want. The floor is yours, sir. But you are devoting this time to another kitty bungalow thing. So yeah. you have to pull it up on screen. 
tell us all about the Buy Art Save Kittens event. Ah, um, I need to shrink this screen so that I can um, get to something on my screen. Absolutely. Uh, I think I just hit escape to do that. Yeah, you should be able to. Yes, indeed. There you go. You see how computer savvy I am. <laughs> Hiya, kitty. It's okay. Yeah, I'm still talking to somebody right now, baby. <laughs> somebody wants their tummy rubbed. <laughs> uh, I, I named this cat Minnow because it was a little gray darting cat. I actually thought it had cerebellar hyperplasia when I first oh. adopted it. And a French friend of mine said, you named your cat Minou? How did you know that we call that is our nickname for kitties? And it turns out in French, in France, they call M-I-N-O-U is, is their way of saying kitty. No so way. her name is Minnow Minou. That is so cute. So what we have is an online, I'm going to read this because uh, it's not my playing field. It is a, an art kitten virtual art show. And uh, Crypto Voxels presents it. Uh, I, I think you've got it up there. It's through Kitty Bungalow Virtual Art Show. Uh, and it's like a, a, a video game with art. You go into this world via your mobile device, your desktop computer, Inside, you get a navigation panel that helps you explore virtual galleries that showcase cat-themed art by really top artists who are, again, animal lovers and have donated this art. Uh, and they're very big in the crypto art scene, which I was not aware of, being an older guy, but it's a big deal, the crypto art scene. Um, and uh, there are also physical pieces uh, of art that can be purchased or just looked at as well. It's absolutely free. Um, and you create, I think it's, uh, I've got it correct. You create an avatar, you create your own little character and you take it through the galleries. You're outside the galleries. Uh, I toured it last year. And then you walk through, I'm going to pick up a kitty cat here who is insistent, <laughs> very insistent that I pay some attention to her. So she's going to go on my lap right now. Uh, and you, uh, you can walk through the galleries. You can look at the art. Uh, they show you how you can change it on your computer so that you can view the art in different ways. And uh, I think you can even take rides and do different things. It's, it's really cool. Uh, and it, as I say, it's like a video game. And if uh, it strikes you that, hey, I'm in love with something on this uh, site, you can purchase it if you wish to. Uh, or just attend and, and have some fun looking at it and learn more about Kitty Bungalow while you're there. So it's a fun thing. Uh, Kitty Bungalow tries to make fun events. We uh, do a race for the rescues where uh, we, we uh, do with a lot of other charities. Those who are able to, I can't, but those who are able to will run a couple of miles and they have sponsors who uh, do a race for rescue sponsorship. We have all kinds of fund fundraisers throughout the year that are a lot of fun. So if you get onto the, uh, even the Kitty Bungalow site and do a like either on uh, Facebook or on the regular site um, that's just available if you Google it, uh, then you'll hear about our events. You'll see pictures of cute kitties and hear stories about cats and fun cats and cats that you might want to follow their stories and hear about them being adopted. Uh, we had a, a couple of cats um, who just recently came in, uh, one of whom is blind. Uh, and we've taken, you know, well, it, it's heartwarming stories. We don't pose. We don't say Pookie died today. And here's a picture of Pookie dead. You know, it's all about the good stuff. It's about the nice stuff and the fun stuff that we do and that you can do and participate in, even if you're just participating in the story and supporting us by liking us helps us. Even liking us online 
help support us. And um, you can do it through charities or where you shop. You may not know it, but if you shop at a Ralph's or a lot of grocery stores, you can actually name a charity of choice so that a percentage of your purchases go to that charity. And you can do that uh, with Amazon. You can do that with a lot of different uh, things that you purchase uh, online or in person. You can name charities and those charities will get uh, money from those uh, purchases that you make. So it's not costing you a nickel and you're actually helping your charity of choice. Even if it's not Kitty Bungalow, find a charity that you love, even if it's something local to you that you're in love with. I would, I would advocate doing that so you can become a giver. Uh, even if you don't have the spare pocket money, there's other ways to do it. That's my spiel. Right, and, Right. <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of people who, are, who watch this show obviously are here for the wonderful guests, but also like to be informed at some of the things they offer. And we found that a lot of people that since the pandemic, we haven't been able to you know, go to major big conventions for the most part until rather recently. So a lot of celebrities have gone to doing autograph signings online and then shipping them. And so correct me if I'm wrong, but you do have a special going on that if someone buys an autograph from you, part of that proceeds go to Kitty Bungalow, correct? The, uh, actually, I'm donating any proceeds uh, that I get. Even uh, better. From autographs. Uh, I've decided to just make that a Kitty Bungalow thing. So I can give you an address for a PO box. Mm -hmm. uh, I get all my mail delivered to my post office box. Uh, so I can give you an address if the person will send um, a self-addressed stamped envelope so that I can uh, just immediately put uh, right now. I, I have to get some other pictures right now. The ones I have are mask ones. I have to get one like the one that you created. And I may even use the one that you did create. Feel free. Get some more glossies made of other characters as well. I just haven't been as uh, active in the conventions and et cetera, et cetera. But I know I need to, to get more active in signings because it's a way to raise money for the shelter. Uh, so uh, my address, it would be Doug Stone, 8391 Beverly Boulevard, number 465, Los Angeles, California, 90048. If you'll include a check made out to Kitty Bungalow for uh, $20 and a self-addressed stamped envelope within what you send me, I will autograph uh, at this time one of these for you and send that back to you. And the money will go to helping little kitties like Minnow, who you just saw, who's <laughs> she wants more. She's not done. <laughs> Hello, Minnow. <laughs> and uh, guys, uh, for those of you watching later on YouTube or listening to later on Spotify, uh, all those links and that P.O. box will be down there in the description box below, guys. And with that said, we are going right into our final segment because we are running a little short on time, but I will get to as many questions as possible. We're going to our final segment, viewers, comments, and questions. So real quick, let me pull up. I'm going to do like we usually do. I'll take some from the messenger, some from the live chat, try to make it as fair for everybody. Okay. 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 All right. So David tuned in and said, how many cats do you have? Three. Three. Queen Mimi, who is 17. She's a senior citizen. Rocky McWiggles and little Minnow Minou. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris tuned in and he first said, hey, Zach. Hey, Doug. What's going on, Chris? Uh, but then he said, hey, Doug, is there a video game franchise that you would like to have voiced in 
And if so, as who? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I wish I had a better answer for you on that one. Uh, I can't say that I really have. Uh, something I learned early in this business when I first got in it and I'd hear about somebody else getting a role, even on stage, I go, Oh, I wish I'd gotten that man. Da, da, da. And you know, it would give me a bad feeling a negative feeling. And I realized very quickly, that's not any use to me at all. So my feeling is bless everybody who works, bless what they do. I don't get jealous of what other people do. I don't look at things that they do and go, I wish I'd done that. I, I really honestly, and I'm not just saying it, I'm content with what I do and doing the best I can at it. And I'm happy when I hear about people that are talented or friends getting other roles. So my mind doesn't go, it's a good question, very valid, but my mind just doesn't go in that direction. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I think it's much healthier. Well, these next two questions are actually from two people that I want to give kind of a special shout out uh, to Charlotte and Ryan. So Charlotte and Ryan, they tune into almost every VisionCon Live and they do the same questions each time. And they always, I always like to hear the answers to these. So I always try to read them if we have time. So the first one's from Charlotte. And- Five foot 10, Charlotte, and I'm 27 <laughs> years old. <laughs> you read my mind. But no, uh, Charlotte asks, what are some of your favorite hobbies? Oh, um, well, I'm really big on music. I've got almost 11,000 songs on my iTunes. Uh, and it's a huge, not a day goes by. Up, and, up until 20 minutes before we started, I had music playing in the background. I have it all categorized uh, into different categories, whether it's rock music, uh, international music, uh, female jazz singers, male jazz singers, et cetera, folk music. It's all categorized. Uh, reading uh, and music are very big on, on my list of hobbies. And uh, it may not sound like a hobby, but um kitty bungalow (laughs) is kind of a hobby when i started volunteering there pre-pandemic i was going there two days a week and i would actually book out uh so that my voice work didn't interfere as much as possible with sessions i'd tell people tuesday and friday afternoons i've got another regular gig i can't be at studio and i wouldn't explain what it was in case they went what are you crazy (laughs) Uh, um volunteering with animals i would i would put down as it's not a vocation but it's certainly, a, a, I guess, a hobby. Well, I'm going to take two more from the live chat, then we'll end on Ryan. So three questions total. And actually, this one isn't really a question. Uh, it is from Maureen. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. They said, uh, not so much a question, more of a statement. They said, I still, uh, okay, I think, they, I think they're saying, I still think that the Swan Princess wow. is, to this day, a classic. Well, that's a great fun to do. I play Speed the Turtle on uh, on that. And that is a franchise that it's about 20 odd years old now. Yeah. It's amazing. And every time I go to do it, we're all gray haired now. You know, when we start <laughs> to work and, and I'll, you know, we'll all joke with each other. Like, we're going to be doing this when we're 90. You know, they're going to be wheeling me in to do Speed the Turtle, you know, in a, in a wheelchair or a hospital bed. And then I'll sit up and find the energy um to do speed it's a fun series it is a fun series and speed i i wish speed had more to do but uh, he's a subsidiary character he's not the main character um it's humans are really the main characters and then the the very crazy frog that uh, runs around is a main character but speed the turtle is rather slow and he's sort of there for comedic effect and to make a few comments here and there (laughs) He's never in too much of a hurry. 
but he's fun to do. And um, sometimes years will go by and they'll say, we got to speed the turtle gig for you. And I'll have to go to YouTube and listen to speed. And go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> when I come in, I'm on the money with him. Um, and yeah, it, it's a pretty cool series. And what's really cute about that is I'll be volunteering and, and my volunteer work. There's a lot of very young people bless their hearts doing this volunteer work a lot of them are uh, usc students the university here in california maybe 20 21 years old and what they relate to the most when i say i i do voiceover and if i mention that a lot of them will go oh my god swan princess i watched that when i was six years old or five years old or da, 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 da. oh my god swan, you're speed the turn and that's something they relate to so i get a lot of very high-pitched <laughs> young women uh about the swan princess franchise and it's still going strong i i didn't sign an nda i don't think a non-disclosure so i think i can safely tell you that there will be another swan princess coming out in the next year. Yeah. you heard it here for you heard it here first folks but okay so our next to last question is going to be from aaron and he said what is your favorite disney movie in honor of disney world's golden anniversary uh yeah what is your favorite disney movie wow i've never been asked that and, and the, i'm flashing back to childhood but i'm also flashing back to the few times that i've gotten to be a uh, lilo and stitch uh i believe came under the disney banner and i played a small role in lilo and stitch so i have affection for that but i really when you say disney i go back to my own childhood which was a long time ago <laughs> so uh i go back to things like dumbo um, I really liked Dumbo because I felt bad for Dumbo and, you know, he got picked on or whatever. And he was the, he ended up being a hero. There was, what was the one about the lion who ended up saving everybody from the wolves? Um, he was raised with a sheepish lion. He was raised with sheep. Uh, and he was sort of scared of, uh, I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, I can't. yeah. He was a lion that was raised by sheep. So he was very timid. Um, it may have, maybe it was only a Disney episode, Lambert, the sheepish lion. Okay. And uh, wolves came and were stealing all the lambs away and he was scared. And then something came out when they took his mom, he got so upset that suddenly he stood up and he roared and uh, the mane stood up and this huge lion roar came out, not my mama. And he turned into his true lion self came out and the wolves went, Oh, and he chased them all away and saved. He still was became a nice lion after and was still good with it. He wasn't ferocious, but sure. nobody was going to hurt his mama. So that was one that, that comes to mind as well that I remember, but there was, Oh God, this Disney has so many uh, great movies uh, the Dalmatians, um, the scene where the two dogs are chase, uh, sharing spaghetti. No. Uh, all these things flash into my mind when I hear uh, Disney movies, they, they've created so many, but Lilo and Stitch was, was really fun. To be, it was again only had a small role. Um, I looped on it. I provided voices, background voices, and then ended up having that uh, little role in Lilo and Stitch was really cool. And just an add on to that in Florida, they created a Lilo and Stitch ride. And it happened to be the scene that I was in, which is the one where he's thrown yeah. off the spaceship. I'm, I'm not the big burly captain, but I'm, I think he spoke something like this. I'm the small uh, guy who was talking to him or whatever. Well, that ended up being what the ride was based on. So I did more voices for the ride than I did for the film. <laughs> That's awesome. 
what really felt cool was to hear people going to Florida and going on the ride saying, I heard your voice and you're all over that ride, you know, uh, because they gave me a lot of new lines to, to do for that, for the ride. So that was, that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I've got right. a, a helper Sorry. here on my. Uh, hey. Oh. <laughs> all right. So our last question is going to be from Ryan who said, are there any characters that you voiced throughout the years that you wish had more of a spotlight? Oh boy. Um, many, many. And I don't know if I could, I could give you them by name, but there's sometimes because I've literally done thousands of jobs over the, many. <laughs> over the years I and mean, the IMDB lists four or 500, but that's not all of them. Uh, they only list in the IMDB if you're credited and there's a lot of things you do that aren't credited so that the, the people who create the IMDB page, which isn't me, don't see, or the Wikipedia pages, they don't realize that you're in them. Um, lots of them. And it's a great question, but um, I think it's too many to name. Sometimes you're doing a character and you think this is, this guy's really cool and whatever. And then nothing happens with the show. It doesn't go anywhere. And you just have to let it go and go, oh, well, I'm, I'm just going to move on from there. I would love it. I will say this, the mask series keeps getting talked about coming back. It, it has come back in different forms, not with the original cast. Uh, but they've been trying to associate it with G.I. Joe and other oh. retro shows. And so they keep talking about it coming back, about it potentially being a film, et cetera, et cetera. And we, and we keep hearing about this from the fan clubs who keep careful track. I would love it if Shades of Stan Lee, if they did do a new mask, I understand if they got new voices and a younger voice to play the hero, et cetera. But I'd love it if we surviving original cast members could come back and do cameos. That would be awesome. That would be so awesome. This is from 1985-86. I would love, before I go into the great cartoon in the sky, to <laughs> be able to do Matt Tracker again as Grandpa Matt, watching the young Matt Tracker walk by and say, he looks like a pretty good darn crime fighter to me, or something like that, you know, as, and, and have them realize, hey, that's Matt Tracker. You know, but he's Grandpa Matt, and this is the new, his grandson, Matt Tracker, or whatever. Crime fighting would be pretty cool. Well, if, there's any, if there's any studio execs watching right now, make it happen. Yeah, please. <laughs> and the rest of the cast, we've discussed this because fans have brought up. We all feel the same. We'd, we'd love to get in there just even to do a cameo, if not the original characters. That would be awesome. Well, that's about, we went a little past, so that's about all the time we got, guys. So, ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 73 of VisionCon Live. Before we wrap things up, Doug Stone, are there any final thoughts that you'd like to leave us on? Sage-like wisdom, anything at all? Sage-like wisdom. Um, as much as uh, I would say mix your Indian food and your Thai food together and, and put beans in your mac and, beans in your mac and cheese and do wear a mask, even if you've been inoculated as I have, Wear your mask when going out. Be safe. Don't take any chances. Why take chances, unnecessary chances? Be safe. Be kind to each other. Be kind to yourself. Okay. Couldn't have said it, couldn't have said it better myself, Doug. Well, ladies, and gentlemen, this is the, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, this has been episode 73 of VisionCon Live. Thank you so much for watching. As always, I'm your host, Zach Wilson. But much more importantly, this has been my very special guest, Doug Stone. Make sure to check out all the links down in the description box below. Please check out Kitty Bungalow. And until next time, guys, always remember that life's better when you have friends to share it with.